and you can feel them in the room and you're lit up by their passion and you'd follow them anywhere. That kind of ability is rare. Excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality. These are the values the Sam and Walton College of Business explores in education, business, and the lives of people we meet every day. I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Walton College, and welcome to the Be Epic Podcast. I have with me today Nancy Duarte, who's a principal at Duarte Inc., which is a firm in uh, the Silicon Valley area. It's the largest design firm in Silicon Valley, as well as the fifth largest female employer in the area. They have a very impressive list of brands that they've worked for, including Apple, Cisco, GE, Google, HP, World Bank, and others. She's the author of six books, and she has a very popular TED Talk that has been viewed by 2.5 million people. Um, and I just finished reading a book by her called Data Story, and I really liked it. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today as well. So, Nancy, thank you so much for uh, taking time to visit with me about this. Yeah, it's great to be here, Matthew. So, so Nancy, I also noticed that on uh, LinkedIn, you have 181,000 followers, which, which is a lot. <laughs> uh, and... Um, I read some of your LinkedIn articles, and you started writing LinkedIn articles back in 2013 when it was kind of a rare thing. And I also see that you started your company back in uh, 1990, so you've been doing this for, for 30 years. Your, your company's been through the dot-com boom and bust mm -hmm. and many other things since then, including COVID-19. Yes. Now. <laughs> How did you get interested in design? Oh, I love that question. You know, my husband actually started the firm in 88 and I joined him in 90 and he's a fine artist. Beautiful. I mean, just stunning. In fact, he's back to his fine art. I fell in love with him because in the eight, literally like in the eighth grade, uh, this whole chalkboard was transformed into a scene of a forest. And I was like, who, who did that? Because I think I'm in love with him. <laughs> And sure enough, I married him. But um, I think he's taught me and teaches me how to be a, a, an appreciator of anything beautiful. So I've, I'm way more visual than verbal. And um, I've always had a very strong appreciation for beautiful things. So when my husband became a technical illustrator and wanted to start the company, like he and I literally checked out all the books from the local library about design, about like, what is typesetting? What is this? And this was like, the Mac was only out for like a year and a half or two. So I, I didn't get a degree in design. Uh, for some reason, the present the internet thinks I'm a presentation designer, um, but I'm not. And so I just went on a journey falling in love with design, uh, wanting to be followed around by designers so they could clean up anything I made that was ugly and make it just effective and beautiful. <laughs> so that was kind of a roundabout way of answering your yeah. question. Well, yes. You know, again, um, you're... Your TED Talk, it it's on the secret structure of great talks. Mm -hmm. And um, I found it very interesting, um, your, your whole notion of, um, you know, what is and what could be. 
um, as a structure and alternating between them. Um, I actually tried it uh, after I watched your TED talk and I noticed it definitely made a big difference. Oh, yeah, that was fun because I'd gone through about a three and a half year journey through storytelling and and the gap between what is and what could be is one of the things that a great story does in the sense that you get a, a there's this rise and fall, this cathartic rise of tension and then the release of that tension. And to do that in a great talk, you use this tension between the current realities and the future opportunities and you just uh, create like here's here's what is here's what's going on here's what our current state looks like just imagine our future could look like this and it's an influential device and it creates that rise and fall that beautiful storytelling does and so that was a blast yeah that was 2011 um yeah I wasn't expecting it to explode like that uh, uh, it's it's had quite an impact on on my business to have a successful TED talk so I appreciate you um that you enjoyed it um moving on to the book now um and let me back up a second. One of the reasons I was looking for a book on this topic was because um, we have really emphasized data science at, at the University of Arkansas. We have a interdisciplinary undergraduate program in uh, data science, but we also have several specialized master's programs that um, use a lot of data science and, and more of it's in our MBA programs now. Um, and we have courses specifically on data visualization and, and I've not been super impressed with some of the data visualization curriculum that I've seen. And so I really was just boundary spanning a little bit and I saw that you popped up with that book and um, and I recognized you. I think I recognized you because of the <laughs> Yeah, maybe, huh? Because I've watched it a few times. And so I, I went ahead and bought the book and I, I read it and really liked it. Um, one quote you have that I really like is data doesn't speak for itself and it needs a storyteller. That's your quote. Mm -hmm. And it's it's kind of it's an interesting quote because a lot of people you hear the phrase a lot. The data speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. um, but clearly it, it, it doesn't speak for itself. It needs a storyteller. and. Um, what uh, what led you to that thought, that idea? Yeah, you know, I, a lot of times uh, that people, I kept hearing them say that, and I thought, well, if data could speak for itself, it could say, hey, I found this problem over here in the data, go do something about it. Well, it can't do that, <laughs> like it can't do that. So when you cruise through data, and or you're using data, or the purpose of even having data is to find a problem or an opportunity in the data. That's it. It's, it's pretty binary. I haven't had anybody say that it's anything other than that. So you cruise through the data, you find a problem or an opportunity, and you're done with the data at that point. At that point, you have a communication problem. You need to say, uh oh, we need to do this about the opportunity I found in the data, or uh oh, we need to do this about the problem I found in the data. And it becomes a communication problem. And so the data can't solve your communication problem. <laughs> you, A human has to solve that. A storyteller has to solve that. And so that's how I demarcate between once you're done analyzing the data, you communicate it. And there's a real big distinction to me between those two things. Well, I know um, early on in the book, you mentioned that, you know, you explain data 
with empathy if you want it to be effective. Mm-hmm. What What do you mean by that? Yeah, it's a good question. So you have to understand um, who you're going to be communicating this uh, data insight to. And you need to not only use this kind of channel in which they consume information, the level of density of information they may be able to receive. Like some people, you may you may need to go present to the board at your company about this finding and some boards do it as a formal stand-up presentations. Others want to get a pre-read and they want to read a document and only have a discussion about the data. Like you need to know who you're communicating to, how how senior they are in an organization because there's certain ways to communicate data that appeals to the executive suite. You just got to know and profile them and then say, and then tee up the data and the findings from the data in a way that they process information and in a way that they can make decisions from the data quickly. Um, so it's the whole book is around empathy, even about how you visualize the data that you found create can be done in an empathetic way. As data scientists, I think they love the whiz bang nature of some of these tools and love to output charts that are complex so they look smart. Well, you need to empathetically think about if you're talking to a broad audience, you need to take your findings and make them consumable to them and maybe talk about the findings in the logarithmic scale <laughs> instead of feeling compelled to show them, you know, how complex the data was. If you do show how complex the data is, then show the findings of the data in a very simple um, tool. The takeaways from the data need to be visually simple. You know, um, in your book, you talk about um, inspiring others with data in a way that causes the inspiration to stick. And um, would you mind just sharing a little bit about that idea? Yeah, so when you're presenting um, data, there's certain ways that you can make it um, go from being relatively neutral in emotional appeal, and then you can also uh, do things that make it have a little bit of an emotional appeal. For example, you could state a statistic, and it could be really big, huge. It could be a huge statistic, and and people can't get their head around huge statistics. And so you could connect it to something relatable. Like you could say, like I could say, that's like going to the moon eight times. Is going from to the from the Earth to the Moon and back eight times. That's how big this number is. It's like, well, I've not been to the Moon. Have you been to the Moon? I've not been to the Moon. What you what you could say if you were to drive your car there at the speed limit, it would take you 42 days, 24 hours a day. That's a more consumable number. So what you could do is take the scale of a number and apply something to it that makes it more relatable and comprehensible, and that adds just the right amount of lift and connection to the data to make it stick. The other thing you can do is instead of just throwing a chart up there, like a bar chart or a line chart, just throw the whole chart up there. Instead, you could say Q1, we were amazing. Ah, Q2, we faltered. Q3, what the heck were you guys doing? Guess what? And then you click Q4, you guys nailed it. Oh my gosh, you did the, this fantastic recovery. And it's so different. Otherwise, you could just you could put all four of those bars up on a chart and people would be like, mm, yeah, but if you create suspense by revealing it over time, it makes the data have suspense in it and suspense is an emotional reaction. So it's just stuff like that. Like the, that whole fourth section of the book has all these different ways that you can state data. It's not about 
manipulating it whatsoever. You can state data in a way that makes people feel something about the data. You do spend a good bit of time in your your book talking about how to use data to tell stories, to engage our senses. And um, what advice would you give us uh, for really being able to do that effectively? I mean, it, some of it is um, very similar to what um, what I was talking about is the ebb and flow of how you humanize the data. Like, for example, a lot of people forget when we're digging through data that humans probably created that data. Like, we are being tracked. Like, you can't even date somebody without data being collected about it. You can't even walk down a street without data being collected. Um, and so there's massive and massive amounts of data. And sometimes when we're in business, we get we get disconnected from the humans that generated the data. Like you could be just like, mm, sales numbers are down. Well, well, that doesn't mean your sales team's incompetent. Maybe you put in some new policy that's making them ineffective, like go and talk to the people generating that data to see if there's some way you can turn the trajectory of the data in a direction you want it to go. You could show pictures of the people generating the data. So often we talk about, you know, our customers or we talk about the poor or we talk about people that really literally took a survey, but we don't know what they look like <laughs> or, or, you know, somebody who has specific types of you know ailments that we track and try to solve it's just like it just makes us realize oh wow that's right that's right behind this number is a human that generated a statistic that made this number true and so that's just just one of the other examples in the book the idea of big data so so data just keeps growing at an exponential rate right right and you know there's really sophisticated you know, methods of analyzing data. And that's actually one of the things that caught my attention about your book, because it almost seems to me like there's an overemphasis on esoteric analysis of data um, that then results in things that are very difficult to explain. And higher education tends to emphasize that, at least from my perspective in business, I think there might be a heavy emphasis on things like the technical technicalities of um, econometrics and uh, stochastic processes and so <laughs> you know but but the real challenge is if you, you know if you want to take the data and be able to make better decisions and lead you really have to be able to influence people and communicate with them and from what I see, you know, a lot of effort goes into capturing this data, cleansing it, harmonizing it, analyzing it, and then a little bit goes into figuring out how to tell a story with it. Um, and so I wonder, do you think people are, are getting better at that? Or do you think some of this like artificial intelligence and machine learning and this sort of thing might actually be taking us in the other direction? That's a, that's a good question. Here's my take. I think that people who just analyze, to, to prepare, analyze, visualize the data, if that's their only role, is, is to just prepare it for someone else. That role can be replaced by AI. Like even a tool like Tableau will say, um, you put your sales data in there and it would say, it could tell you, 
Jim had a lower Q3 this year than last year. Like it, it'll suggest and prompt potential findings even. Like it won't just flip you the chart. It'll flip you the chart and, and give its rough cut of what you may want to look at. That's AI, right? So if that kind of stuff, like put the data in and cough out a potential finding from the data, that could replace a lot of roles in data. So if people aren't willing to take the next step and say, oh, well, AI suggested Q3 over Q3 was low. I knew that. Uh, the big interesting thing, because a human eye is looking at this and not AI, is this other anomaly that this system wouldn't know was an anomaly unless it knew our strategy, right? And so you can see how you move from just analyzing the data to becoming a strategic advisor around the data. Those are two completely massive gaps in skill. And so I think that people need to realize AI is going to be a real thing and AI can take it so far and we need to become communicators of the data and synthesizers of multiple resources of data like the company strategy like I don't know how you would even put that into Tableau <laughs> you know like yeah. like you know like it's like okay that's fine like it could be yeah we, we needed to be down in Q3 because we just are moving from a product-based organization to a subscription-based one. I was completely expecting Q3 to be low, right? Now, so it should have coughed up a different set of answers for you from that same data. So it takes a human um, right now still, but uh, AI is taking it pretty far. That's a good answer. Um, so Nancy, we have you know, in the Walton College over 6,500 students mm -hmm. and We'll graduate about 1,400 undergraduates this year and a few hundred graduate students as well. What advice would you give them in terms of, and, and it doesn't just have to be about explaining data through story, mm -hmm. it could be about anything that, because I know you, you're, you also are an expert on telling stories in general mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. communicating. So what advice would you give them? That's a great question. You know, the number one skills gap right now in the world by millions and millions is soft skills. And in soft skills has things like influence. And they're finding that people don't know how to communicate. They they just don't know how to communicate um, at, in the workplace. Um, they're not coming out of university uh, knowing that well. And then the programs are within companies aren't that strong. And so that's why we're we have this great body of work and we um, have a really big training organization to try to solve that. If you think about, uh, so if they work on their communication skills, they will show up stronger than, different than, better than the other people that are competing for some of the same jobs. Um, the other thing um, that I feel really passionate about, which all my bodies of work focus on, is the spoken word too. So if you think about the spoken word, it it makes the invisible visible. It it starts movements. It takes it can make something out of nothing. And it's just such a beautiful thing when your heart races and you hear someone and you see them and you can feel them in the room and you're lit up by their passion and you'd follow them anywhere. That kind of ability is rare. And I really think that if uh, if young people could really, really understand its power um, and adopt a, a discipline in being a student of that kind of influence, it'll really shape not only their own careers, but hopefully a bright future of human flourishing in the world. Well, Nancy, thank you so much um, for all the work you put into 
writing data story. It, it really is helpful. And um, I know your TED talk that I mentioned goes back to 2011, but I think it's still terrific. Um, I would encourage the listeners to, to, to watch that as well. Uh, but I really appreciate you taking time to, to visit with me. Thank you so much. Thank you. On behalf of the Sam M. Walton College of Business, I want to thank everyone for spending time with us for another engaging conversation. You can subscribe by going to your favorite podcast service and searching Be Epic, B-E-E-P-I-C.